Hi, and welcome to the Lumita Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gilder. On this podcast, we'll explore how to achieve and plan for a long, healthy life, as well as how to prepare for the inevitable and unforeseen through estate planning, insurance, and end-of-life decisions. We'll talk candidly with experts who advise high and ultra-high net worth clients so you can learn how to apply their strategies and tactics to your own longevity and legacy planning. The information provided in this episode is for educational and informational purposes only. This podcast episode features discussions about DMT and 5-MeO, substances classified as Schedule One drugs, in many jurisdictions. The use, possession, and distribution of Schedule One drugs, including DMT and 5-MeO, are prohibited by law in many places. This content is also not a substitute for professional medical advice. The hosts and creators of Lumina Legacy are not advocating or promoting the use of these substances. Listeners are responsible for understanding and complying with the laws in their respective jurisdictions. Listen responsibly. This is a special live edition of Lumina Legacy. I'm so thrilled to be here, joined by my co-founder, Ram, and Tommy Christie, who is joining us from Denver, Colorado. We've talked with Tommy a little bit to understand how the God molecule has changed his life. He's a psychonaut who's taken several journeys in exploring and transcending current reality. And he's here to share his experience with us, tell us a little bit about what he's learned as a result of these experiences, and really just shed light on what it means to explore reality and the world in which we live. And then what happens on the other side? How do you feel after you do these experiences? How does it change your view on life and reality and the world? And then also, how do you do it for others? Do you help others go on this journey if somebody is interested but has never done it? To lay the groundwork, Ram, I'm going to ask you to kick us off a little bit and share at a high level what 5DEO DMT is and also what piqued your interest in these types of plant medicine and therapeutics because I think it's a very important and personal journey if you can share a little bit today on that. Yeah, I'll, I'll work backwards. First off, I've always been interested in the concept of consciousness. The world is fundamentally mysterious. Here we are, we exist, we experience, we have phenomena. And there's a big philosophical problem called the hard problem of consciousness and no one's cracked it. So alternative states of consciousness seem like Something I'd love to learn more about. Uh, it's, I'm thrilled to be speaking with Tommy here. DMT, which is the active ingredient in 5-MeO DMT, and Tommy's had multiple experiences around that, is what causes the psychedelic experience. So DMT is a dimethyltryptamine, and it's present in living organisms. It's present in plants, vines. It's present in uh, mushrooms, magic mushrooms specifically. And it's present in the secretions of the Sonoran Desert Toad, which is typically where 5-MeO-DMT is cultivated. And it's been used in these ancient shamanic rituals for thousands of years. I believe there's a lot to learn from ancient wisdom, something that I appreciate more and more the older I get. And so those are the reasons why I find it interesting. I think I would maybe was first introduced this concept around ayahuasca, maybe 10, 12 plus years ago, and just reading the stories of these journeys, they're more interesting than any science fiction novel you can read. I find them very interesting. If you ever want to listen to something interesting, go to YouTube, type in 
DMT experience, heroic dose trip report or something like that, you'll get a lot of entertainment and uh, you might even find some common themes across those reports. So I find that intellectually interesting. Mike Tyson did an interview. Go ahead, Justin. I was actually just going to say that Mike Tyson has, it might be somebody that you find on YouTube when you search that. And I think Ram, you were talking about that earlier. There's many other people that have experienced this. There are few who, when you watch the video, are as captivating in their description of the experience and few who are just so iconic in uh, our cultural reality. I agree. We got a short one minute clip here with Mike Tyson. Have you done DMT? I've done it around 50 times. No way. That was, that was the thing Rogan was talking about. On yeah, the, uh, those the toes, the God model. What do you see when you do DMT? Ooh, I want to know. Your ego dies. You're afraid to death. You feel the presence of something that is so much bigger than you, you can't even conceive it. And the only thing you can say is that it's God. I think DMT is who yep. we are. We caught DMT when we died when we first gave birth to this planet. Like I was on cocaine when I did the toe. I used to drink a lot. I used to was a mess. And I was 100 pounds overweight. And so I did the lose weight. I lost 100 pounds in four months. Right after you did it? Yeah. Yeah, so what was like, it? right after you did it, what did you like take from the experience? To command to be the best you can be at just like in the best physical shape you can now. Lose that fucking fat, you fat fuck. Ooh, I miss a hard man. I can't say, hey guys, let's go work out, man. It's time to work out. Where do you think that passion comes from? That fire? God. That's a great way to start this off. I think losing ego is a really important component of these experiences. And so now I would love to ask Tommy to introduce himself and share a little bit about your background. I know when we spoke, you said, hey, look, I'm just a human who's living in Colorado, who can share some of his experiences. I think you're very humble. Maybe you've already set aside the ego, which tells us a little bit about how you came out on the other side of some of these experiences. Hey, thank you, Justin. And thank you, Ron, for having me on today. It's a pleasure and an honor to share my experience and to share my voice with your audience and with you guys. So thank you. I, I really appreciate it. And yeah, I love that Mike Tyson clip. That's incredible. He's a real gangster. I, I love Mike. And in terms of who I am, yeah, I live here in Denver, Colorado. Uh, I'm a salesman. That's what puts food on my table. I also do photography as a passion and a side hustle. And I'm also a writer. I write every single day. I share it on X. I love writing about just my experience as a human being. I would say I'm a nicheless writer. Like I don't have necessarily something that I discuss. I'd say I am the niche. I write about my own experiences and about what my own human experiences taught me. And I'm very honored to be here. That, that was the question you asked, right? Just like, introduce myself. Yeah, and no, that's perfect. Just love to get a little setting and understanding. When was the first time you used plant medicine? And when the first time was it DMT or did you start out with magic mushrooms and psychosyllabin, something a little tamer? Yeah, yeah. Good question, man. The first time I took psychedelics, it was psilocybin in college. I took it, I think it was 22. I'm 33 now. So it was like 11 years ago that my journey started down the psychedelic path. And it was in college. I was hanging out with some friends and actually been drinking a little bit. And uh, yeah, psilocybin, by the way, mushrooms, magic mushrooms for people that don't know, like more or less the, the, the scientific terminology behind it. And fun fact, it's not actually a plant, but it is under the, it's technically a plant medicine, but 
technically fungi. It's its own kingdom. Fungi lies between the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom. So it's technically not a plant, but it is for all intents and purposes in the, in the, in, in the, uh, the kingdom of life. It's, it's right between plants and animals. So it's like halfway between a human and like a plant. But yeah, so I took a few grams, like three grams of it when I was in, in college. And that kind of kickstarted, uh, I'd say a, a really healing journey, more or less. That I think that that prompted me to start taking these, these medicines. I, I felt really an intuitive draw to psychedelics when I was younger. And I couldn't really explain why. I started reading about Timothy Leary, Alan Watts, Ram Dass. I don't know if you know about Ram Dass and Tim Leary, but they were professors at Harvard that ended up being fired because they were giving LSD to their students at Harvard, and which is just wild. So I started reading about them, and I had a friend that was selling mushrooms. So I was like, all right, it's time to try it. Those are both interesting characters. So Timothy Leary brought back a book called The Tibetan Book of the Dead. Mm -hmm. And then Ram Dass was actually his new name. He moved to India. Mm -hmm. and became a disciple. And by the way, he has the most interesting interpretation of this ancient sacred Hindu text called the Bhagavad Gita. Mm. So we don't have to go down that rabbit hole. Oh. Just connecting some dots for, for people oh, here. Oh, totally. I've read that book as well, the Bhagavad Gita. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Ram Dass, original name was Richard Alpert. And when he was teaching at, at Harvard, and then he became just totally disenfranchised and ostracized from academia because of the nature of what he was doing. Be here now. If anybody's interested. That's the one. That's, one of the, that's right. And he was both doing LSD experiments at Harvard. And this is when LSD and psychedelics were in ascendancy. And then some events happened and then it went away for a few decades. Yeah. Richard Nixon actually called, he called Timothy Leary the most dangerous man in the United States of America. And I think that speaks to the power of which these substances have to dissolve boundaries and to dissolve structures. I don't think he was actually dangerous. He was just dangerous in the sense that the messaging and like the philosophies that he was propounding and putting out into the world dissolve power and dissolve their own power. I thought that's interesting. Super interesting. Yeah, the powers that be don't love when authority is questioned or anything structural that can change the power dynamics. Going back to that first experience, Obviously, it set you on this course, so it was meaningful in its own right. You, you called it healing. What led you to explore it further? Did you want to heal more? Did you, was your interest peaked? What led you to continue down that path? Yeah, my interest was peaked for sure. I, and I really actually discovered meditation and psychedelics really at around the same time. I've been a consistent, pretty much daily meditator for the last 11 years. and I was also started taking psychedelics right at around the same time. And yeah, I, it was really the only way that I can describe it is like I had this intuitive pull to these substances. Like I did it that one time and I realized there was a lot more there. There was a lot more that I needed to continue to unpack and to experience. And honestly, like for that year, this was my junior year of college. I went to Virginia Tech in Virginia. I studied philosophy and I also studied geography. And philosophy, I, I think, was monumental as well in my journey towards truth, but very much call myself a seeker, a truth seeker. I really just want to find out what's happening, like behind the curtains of reality. What, what the hell is happening? This is really weird. Like we wake up one morning and we're a human being. 
and we go out, we go throughout the world. We have, we just take it for granted. I think most people take it for granted. And I, it was all just a, it's all rooted in my pursuit for truth and my pursuit for wisdom and my pursuit for knowledge. And I just realized that when I took those mushrooms, something was awakened in me. There was something just, it was like a dialogue with God himself. When I had, I had been an atheist for a while. I'd read a couple of Richard Dawkins and like Sam Harris books. And I thought I had it all figured out. And I took psychedelics and I was like, wow, like I actually, I think I'm an agnostic now. I think I don't think I have this thing figured out. And for a while I took LSD and psilocybin on an almost, I wouldn't recommend this for anybody, by the way, this is just my own journey. I took them almost every weekend for a while. I would just take them with my friends or sometimes just take them by myself and just sit in my room and just mess around, just, just take them and listen to music. And I took them way too many times. And there's actually this insight from Alan Watts. This is what I would, I think it's a very valuable message for psychedelics. Once you get the message, hang up the phone. And I just kept calling that number over and over again. And then I started to realize that I wasn't getting anything out of these experiences. Like I just kept doing them repeatedly and my life wasn't improving. And there's also a Buddhist teacher. His name is John Cornfield. He, I would highly recommend his work, Cornfield with a K. He has an amazing podcast with Tim Ferriss that I, I think is just absolutely incredible. And he talks about doing the dishes. So you, you'll have these mystical experiences, but it's not going to just improve your life right there. Like you have to listen to the insights and you have to clean up your room, as Jordan Peterson would say, and you have to clean up your act and you have to make sure that you're actually integrating these insights. That's to me, a huge part of this psychedelic experience is integration. And when I was younger, in my early twenties, I don't think I was integrating them as, as well as I could, but yeah, that's, that was like at the beginning, that was like how I got into it. Would you say that the experience that you've had on DMT is deeper or different than your other experiences? Or what, what's different about that type of experience than somebody who maybe has had mushrooms before and had that kind of experience, but hasn't done some of the DMT experiences that may or may not share some commonality, but differ in some fundamental ways. Totally. There's, from my understanding, there's a, a few different classes of psychedelic drugs. There's tryptamines, which were like, that is the class that like DMT and 5-MeO DMT are a part of. And there's phenethylamines, which is more or less, I think, where you'll find like psilocybin. And there's lysergigamides, which like is where LSD is. I would say that they're quite different for sure. The classes of psychedelic drugs like DMT and 5-MeO, they're quite different qualitatively than something like LSD or psilocybin. And yeah, the, uh, DMT and, and 5-MeO, they are, I think they're very different in the sense that they're very short trips. I've heard DMT referred to as the businessman's trip because literally like you could go on a break, you could go on a 20 minute break from work and like smoke DMT, then go back to working again if you really wanted to. Whereas if you take LSD, you're in that for seven to nine hours, whereas psilocybin, it's a little shorter acting than LSD. Psilocybin is more like three or five hours. So the length of those experiences are very different. But I'd also say the flavor and the quality of the experience is quite different as well. When you take DMT, DMT and 5-MeO are actually very different from one another as well. I've done DMT and I've also done 5-MeO. 5-MeO is known as the God molecule. And then DMT is just this own class completely. Like Joe Rogan popularized DMT for the masses. 
And it's really this just otherworldly alien experience where you're communing with alien entities. A lot of people around the world have have documented speaking with these kind of elf-like entities. These machine elves is what Terrence McKenna famously called them. So th they're all so different. Yeah, that, that's how I would approach that, that question. Let's double click on the 5-MEO experience. As I understand it, 5-MEO is the most powerful hallucinogen known to man. Yes. Yeah, it is. And these are non-addictive, by the way. We should remind people up. I, these are Schedule 1 class ups in the United States and talk to your health professional and doctor and both arrest, comply with the law. <laughs> Be careful, okay? Disclosure done. Now, walk us through your subjective experience with 5MEO. Like, by the way, how many times you've done it? What's the range of experience? Do you have a sense of identity? Where are you going? What thoughts do you have? Do you have thoughts? Yeah, that's... Uh... A great question. It's something I'm happy to unpack. So I've done it on three separate occasions. And on those three separate occasions, I did them three times. I, I did it three times each. I consumed it three times. So three times three, nine times that I've ingested this substance. And I did it with, I'm not going to name names, but I did it with a underground therapist. Psych, psych, somebody was actually trained in psychiatry and they quit their practice to do this full time. And they typically, so it was a man and I did it with him. And typically like when he does it, he has a female partner. So you have this yin and yang energy of support when you're, when you're going into this experience. And I did it for the first, like there were other people that were there too. Like one time it was private. The first time I did it, it was just me. And then these facilitators, the other two times I did it were done with other people in the room. Like there were other people that were undergoing their own 5-MEO journey. So just a really fast, it was fascinating to see other people under the influence of it as well. And it's an extremely powerful and scary experience is it's beautiful and it's scary all at the same time, the yin and the yang, there's simply no getting around it. It's like going up like a giant roller coaster in your head or like a giant, it's like getting strapped to a rocket and then having Elon Musk send you up into space, but it's into your own inner space is the way that I would describe it. It's truly like that. And it's a, I guess we can talk about how you do it. Let's skip the how you do it. I think there's a lot of content around how you do it. But what about your personal experience? Like you, you mentioned entities. Are you self-aware? Do you have a sense of, I am Tommy? What is your sense of self? Mm, it, 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 so it depends on, for the DMT and 5-MEO space, there's a big idea of blasting off. In quotes, there's ways that you can take these substances. If you don't quite go all in, your ego will not dissolve. So you really have to commit and to fully throw yourself into the hit because I smoked it. I, it was vaporized, actually. It, this is important to note just because it's going to set the stage for the whole experience here. It's a device and they, they vaporize it and you slowly suck in the smoke for about 30 seconds. And you once you're, I'd say about 10 seconds in upon taking that hit, you start to feel very tingly. You start to feel very weird. Your consciousness starts to go bye-bye. Um, your sense of ego and your sense of self, my sense of Tommy, like Tommy Christie, like this massive cells that I am right now, starts to go bye-bye. And you get a lot of resistance and a lot of fear because it's almost like your consciousness almost thinks that you're dying when you're doing it. Because in a way it is. In a way, your consciousness, as you know it, your day-to-day I wake up and go to work and put on my clothes. That sense of self goes bye-bye completely. Yes, you dissolve into what Carl Jung would call the collective unconscious. 
and as you're blasted into the recesses of your inner space, it's almost impossible to put into words, but I will certainly try to do my best. As you suck in, you do it for about 30 seconds. You're, there's a little kind of cot or bed that you're lying on and you're surrounded by the doctor and his facilitator, his assistant. Then you lay back on the cot and man, from that point on, all bets are off. Like it's really hard to put into words. For me, I really got this for the first 30 seconds. It's a bit scary. It really, it's very scary. You're like, what's happening? Where am I? What's going on? Who am I? Am I going to die? Like all of these questions just come up for you. And then at a certain point, like some people have stronger attachments to their ego than other people. I noticed some people had a lot of like fight and cry, were crying and screaming. Like some of the people that I watched do it, they did that. I, I had a little less attachment to my ego that I think than other people. And I was able to be a little bit more chill about it. And I just relaxed. And apparently my body was just, it, it looked like I was more or less like sleeping from the people that were around me. And it felt just so blissful. Once you get past the attachments to your ego, once you get past the fear and the anxiety and the, the kind of the fear of death, it's just this beautiful, blissful experience where it honestly feels like the only way I can really describe it to you is it feels like it's the place that you go to, like the place that you are before you're born and the place that you go to after, like the place you go to after you die. It's really a magical and blissful and peaceful experience. It was so rejuvenating for me. I came out of the experience one of the times just with this feeling of just deep self-love in the sense that everything is just exactly where it needs to be. I'm exactly where I need to be. I'm so blessed and grateful to be alive and to be a human being. It, what a gift it is. I felt like I was just this, th there's this idea of you know, Barack Spinoza. He was a philosopher. And he had this idea of God, that we are just cells in God, in this greater organism that is God. And when I really, really felt that in a felt sense way, you don't really get these intellectual analytical downloads. You just get these, just felt bodily sensory downloads. For me, it was incredibly healing. I felt so relaxed, so grateful. It, it took me a, I, I still get downloads from these experiences sometimes. They linger in your bodily awareness. Like that book, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel, Besser Vanderkalk is his name. And I still get these downloads sometimes from these DMT experiences that I've had and these 5-MEO experiences that I've had. It was transcendently beautiful is the way that I would say it for me, but it's very scary. It's like bungee jumping. The transition scary when you're going from ego to ego lessness, is that the scary? Then once you conclude that, I guess you said it was 30 seconds and then it's not scary. And then you're, you have a different perception at that point. Precisely. Yeah. Cause if you think about human consciousness, think about what we're able to think about vision, for instance, we're able to perceive a very narrow bandwidth of light of all of the existing light in the universe, we're, we're only able to see a very narrow bandwidth. And when you take psychedelics like this, it opens up that bandwidth to a very extreme extent. It opens up your, what Aldous Huxley called your doors of perception. It, it kicks down the doors and you're just able to perceive things in a totally different way. So yes, the first 30 seconds when you are transitioning states of consciousness, that is the, the most fearful and fear inducing state right there. Spend a little bit more time there and talk about what it means from your perspective to let go of ego. Right, we've thrown around the term ego a few times here, but maybe capture a little bit more of what it 
means in your mind as you're letting go of ego? Yeah. So I guess I would couch it in a definition of ego. I define ego as your sense of self, the sense of Tommy, the sense of Ram, the sense of Justin. That's your ego. The sense that you have this, this body that is the same thing. But in reality, it's an illusion. I think almost all the religious traditions, I think Buddhism, they have the idea of Maya. Like our sense of self is really just an illusion. We are not separate, you and I. It's just this, it's a product of our own human consciousness. So I think when you take psychedelics, you are, or specifically 5-MEO, your ego is just like curb stomps. Like it's just destroyed. It's instantly just blown up. And you're just cast into this kind of gooey, egolessness state. And it's really impossible. I think words fail us greatly when it comes to talking about these altered states of consciousness. But this is my best attempt to. I think when you're in that state, you just feel like you're just so connected to everything. You're connected to source. You're connected to God. You're connected to universal complexity. Insert term here, humans across. Well, it sounds like what you're describing is like the non-dual state that the Buddhists wrote about and what Alan Watts wrote about as well. And I was a philosophy major as well, by the way. So I find this super wow. interesting. Beautiful. And one of the things about non-dual states is that by definition, there's no distinction you can make. You cannot assign a label because mm -hmm. you're drawing a distinction. And what you're saying is, hey, ego's identity. And so if you're in a non-dual state, you cannot draw a distinction between yourself and something else. Yeah. That distinction is identity. So all that falls away. And that's also makes it difficult to describe and talk about. Yeah. No, no, you're spot on. It is exactly what it is. It's it's a non-dual state where you're just just this uh ooey gooey entity that's like just connected to everything. It's really a crazy feeling. And again, I'm not gonna I would never recommend anybody to just go out and take five MEO DMT. This is a very this is extreme sports for psychedelics. Like it's about as crazy as it gets. If you don't feel like you have a very relaxed nervous system and you have a very strong sense of self, this type of experience can really be, I don't think it's, it can be great for everybody. You have to make sure that you know what you're getting yourself into. And something I'd recommend, something that helped me going into it, it do, are you guys familiar with, you know, Hamilton Morris? You've heard of him? Yeah, he's a few podcasts on this. He's highly technical. I think he's manufacturing 5-MeO or something. Why don't you share more? Yeah, he's yeah he's a chemist as well as like a psychonaut as well. And for those that don't know, a psychonaut is simply an explorer of consciousness. It's like a traveler. And somebody that likes to experience these altered states of consciousness. He's a psychonaut and he's a chemist. And he has, he has a show called Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia. It's a vice show, but you can buy it on Amazon. That's where I've watched it. And he has a couple of different episodes on 5-MeO DMT and its origin story and its history as well. So it's the history behind 5-MeO is actually quite debated. So yeah, I would if you're interested in this topic, that is the best kind of resource that I found for learning about this, this substance. Any other lessons around the spiritual side of things? Like you walk away with an insight or wisdom. You describe your subjective sense of wellness and all is ordered and everything's where it should be and gratitude. Yes. But did you have connections with entities at all, or is that with other kinds of DMTs? I had an interaction with God, really. So if you count that as an entity, I felt like I was just merged into God and source and, and just divine truth in almost every single way. And the main message to me was self-love is the ultimate truth of life. There's nothing that's more true than self-love. And if you're a human, it's your duty to 
to, to love yourself as much as you possibly can, because to love yourself is to love God, because there's no difference between those things. Let me, let me ask you this. We saw the Mike Tyson video, and he's getting kicked in the ass by this voice that's saying, hey, go lose weight, get in shape, be your best self. And we have this culture of entitlement, arguably, in younger generation. And so how do you interpret self-love? Is self-love, you know, being a sloth, eating Oreo cookies, watching Netflix? Or is it, what is it? Yeah, it's, I think it's, I think it varies person to person, but I think generally it's taking care of your vessel. It's taking care of your meat suit, your body. I think that is a deep truth. And I take very good care of my body. I, I work out a lot. I eat very healthy. I sleep well. I meditate. So I, I think doing all those things, that's what self-love is. Self-love is taking care of your body. It's taking care of your mind. It's, and I think when you do those things, you take care of your soul. So psychedelics have largely brought me back into my body and showed me the wisdom of my body as well. We have, if you think about the human body, it's a miracle. It's the product of billions of years of biological evolution and billions of years of cosmic evolution, even before life existed as we conceive of what life is. So I think to, to treat your body well, to eat good food, to get good rest, to, to spend time with positive people, to dance, to, to work out, to, to move, to, to create, creating art. Like all, it, it brought me back to all of these beautiful things. And I actually remember when I came out of like probably the most, so I took it nine times. And I think the time that I really was out there, I was like saying words out loud, apparently. I was saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. And then the people that were facilitating it, they were saying, I love my, they, they were trying to get me to say, I love myself. And I felt like a block towards saying it, but I ended up saying it. And really the, the experience just taught to, it, it taught me to just love myself in every possible way. And if you don't know what that means, then I think that you, you might need, to, it, it sounds woo, honestly, it sounds woo, unless you've had a mystical experience. But I, I really believe that like self-love is the center of everything that we're doing here on earth. So well, one, one quick comment, just yeah. I'll pass you the ball. It's interesting if you combine the concept of non-duality, no distinction between oneself and one others, which is the experience of that non-dual state, then self-love is the same as loving others. Yeah, precisely. And I've learned just in my own human experience here that the more I tap into this self-love, the more I'm a beacon of light for the people in my life, the more people come to me for advice and I think you become just like your energy becomes this healing energy. Like they talk a lot of the gurus in India, like they all literally, like they can just sit there and not do anything at all. And people can be in their presence and just get healed just by virtue of the energy that they're emitting into the earth and emitting. So I, I think I also do breath work every morning. Now I do something called a Soma breath work, which I find I can hit very similar states of non-duality doing this breath work that I can with 5-MEO. Maybe not, it's not quite the same. It's not quite as reliable, but yeah, I would urge anyone that's interested in these non-dual states to, to read about 5-MEO and to consider doing it. Saying, Tom, you hit exactly the topic that I wanted to cover, the idea that you are one part of God and this source and everyone else, therefore, is also equally a part of that. Then does that how does that translate from self-love to love of all? But you already answered that, Tommy. So I'm going to change gears slightly and say, how about consciousness? Again, come back to that. There's some theories out there that consciousness is an illusion. Talked a little bit about that or skirted around the idea. And how did you feel 
after this, did you feel like you had some view on our consciousness and what reality is? To some extent, yeah, I think reality is just consciousness. I believe, I believe that reality is infinite and it's always existed. Like where we are right now, we're in this kind of infinite field of possibilities. And I think with 5MEO, like it just hit me actually that it, it totally changed my view on death. And since that, it changed my view on life. It gave me this really, it was almost like a blanket, like reassuring me that even when we die, like when, when our bodies perish and we're not here in this current form, it, it, it taught me that there's nothing to fear. Like we're going to just go back home as Ramdas talks about it. Like we're going to go back to source and there's really nothing to worry about because we've always been here and we'll always be here, not in this current form, but I, I really, I'm not afraid, like I, I'm afraid of death. Like I don't want to die. I love being a human. I love being able to eat chocolate and hug my mom and all the beautiful things about being a human. When my time comes, I feel very confident and very, I feel very confident that it's going to all be okay. So that, that's what it taught me because I'd never experienced anything like that prior to using 5-MEO. And when you had a DMT experiences, not the 5-MEO, but just DMT, did you see some of the same kind of machine elves you've talked about? I've had that conversation with friends who have also experienced that. And it was a very surreal conversation just to have. I can't even imagine the actual experience of it. And for this in particular individual, they felt like they had a view on whether this is a simulation. And in their opinion, it was some sort of simulation that our reality is constructed. And that view of these machine elves is really the kind of like gap between our experience and our reality and some level that we can't experience without DMT. I haven't done DMT. I have had psychosyllabin experiences, but now my interest is peaked. So take us on that journey a little bit. Sure, sure. I want to be clear. So the DMT is where you see the machine elves. I didn't see any machine elves, book five MEO, but I, I did feel like I was interfacing with an intelligent being that normally I would not have access to. So for sure. And I will say with DMT, I have never fully blasted off. I've done it a few times, but if you want to consume DMT, like the, the technique is actually quite important. You have to really make sure you're consuming it the right way. So I've consumed it, but I never myself got, I never really act, interacted with the machine elves. I saw it almost like I dissolved into some type of like trippy geometric tapestry. It's how I would describe my experience with DMT. Like there's different like textiles and like tiles that you see in like Arabic countries, like that, that arabesque style. I really felt like I just dissolved into something like that when I did DMT. But 5MEO was this much more kind of spiritual experience, this much more like consciousness affirming experience. I really think that it's like the pinnacle of psychedelic experiences. If you are interested in going down this rabbit hole of psychedelics, I think it's just, it's the, it's signal in the noise. Like it's the realest shit that's around. It's 5MEO. I think it's the, the craziest psychedelic that you'll ever, that you'll ever do. Can you start there? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And that's, it's a journey, right? But can you start at that pinnacle or do you have to work your way up? I think you could, if you're like a particularly awake human, I feel like you're a very advanced human in terms of like your self-development journey. I mean, you've done a lot of inner work already, like a lot of meditation or yoga, I think, but not for most. It's, it's an advanced 
it's advanced. And it, it didn't call me until like late into my journey. And it quite, it'll quite literally call you. I remember I was in Tulum. I went on a solo vacation by myself and I was there for a couple of weeks. And the first time it came into my conscious experience, I was like at this, it was like a vendor. It was like, I don't know, like 10 o'clock at night. And I was just like walking around, having a good time, eating some food. And this guy was, he was like working at a booth and he was like singing songs. And I like hung out at his booth for a few minutes. And he asked me if I wanted to do 5-MeO DMT. And I'd know what it was, but I didn't feel right doing it at the moment. He invited me to go back to, he like lived on this like hippie commune and he invited me back and it, it just didn't feel right because I had read about it. I understood how vulnerable that you are. Like when you take these substances, like you need to make sure that whoever you're with, you trust them implicitly. You have a lot of trust built up with them. For me, it was, it called to me then. And then I started going down a rabbit hole and then I knew the psychedelic doctor and I knew that he had it. So I hit him up and I was like, Hey, I would really like to do this. So it, it has to call to you. And I think that you really do have to be, I'd say an experienced like yogi or meditator or psychonaut. Yeah. I, I wouldn't recommend this to be the, like, I think you could do it as the first one, but it's a lot. It's, it's just a lot. Take it easy. First. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Good best practices. So what about some of your peak experiences on conventional DMT? Are there certain experiences or stories or interaction with the entity or visions or realizations or cover? What, I don't even know what the right question is to ask is, but what are all the peak experiences you had with conventional DMT? I, again, like I never fully blasted off with it, but I, I, ha I did have some nice moments on it. I did have some nice kind of blissed out, just high stupor moments with, with DMT, but nothing like, Nothing transcended like five of you. No realizations or insights that you took away from that. Because I think that people find this interesting. I, I like to preserve my mental faculties. I like how my brain works. I'm not looking for a high, not in it for that. Yeah. I think consciousness is incredibly interesting and the world is fundamentally mysterious. Here we are, we exist, we perceive. Yes. No hypothesis would be not that or even not, not that either. Yeah. No, and I, I respect your attitudes towards it, man, 100%. But I do think that there's quite a bit of, what's the word, like fear mongering around psychedelics too, because it, it is very, it's a very fearful experience, but I feel lucid and as in, and intelligent as I've ever felt. I don't think it messed me up in any way, but that's not to say that it, it doesn't have its risks. I think these are very risky substances. So I, I acknowledge and understand the risk. Especially if someone has an addition of schizophrenia in their family, this, this, do your homework, talk to professionals. Yeah. And by definition, there are no licensed professionals in the United States. <laughs> you got to talk to shaman or someone. Right? Yeah. The shaman might be no licensed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think shamanism is making. I think shamanism is making a comeback, and I think it's needed. You know, I think we're at a pivotal era in humanity right now. Where, you know, I don't know what your views on climate change or whatever, but it seems like we we face a couple of different, almost existential threats to humanity right now. And I think one of the major ways that we're going to get out of this pickle is if we have spiritual revelations and is if we start to view ourselves a little bit differently than, than we do now. Because I think we live in an era that's a bit nihilistic. Most people don't have a connection to source. They don't have a connection to say what you will about religion. There's like plenty of cons to it, but it did give us meaning and it gave us community. And I think we're really in a detached, degenerate age. And I think we need some type of spiritual revelation or else I'm not sure if we're going to make it out of this century in one piece. What's interesting is that you accessed a spiritual experience directly and it wasn't intermediated by an institution, mm -hmm. right? And Justin and I talk about the decline of 
across an institution. So you have a direct access and no one's telling you what the meaning of that experience is. You are creating and assigning and interpreting the meaning of that experience. Hmm. I had that conversation this morning, actually. It's very interesting that is coming up now. I actually had that conversation this morning with my therapist talking about exploring religion and understanding its role in society and its role for me and for my family. I don't really have a religion, primarily because my parents had different religions. And my wife also has parents that had different religions. Both of our fathers, Jewish, both of our mothers, a denomination of Christian. And as a result, our childhoods didn't have a anchor. And now I'm exploring a little bit what it means to find some of these kind of moral and ethical, have some of these moral and ethical conversations in the absence of a religion and in the absence of these traditions that can sometimes anchor society. And uh, I find it really interesting. And I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. Friedrich, yeah, Friedrich Nietzsche, when he declared the death of God was like in the late 1800s, he was essentially predicting what, what is happening in our world today. We are a nihilistic culture here in, in the West, especially. You look at the rates of depression, the rates of suicide, the rates of anxiety, the rates of obesity. It's absolutely depressing in and of itself. And I think we are, I think deep down, we are spiritual creatures. When I say spiritual, I just mean something that has a connection to something bigger than ourselves. Like scientifically, that's true. Like we are the energy and the atoms in our body were quite literally created in a gigantic explosion like 13.7 billion years ago. Like how, how fucking crazy is that? And I think that when we as humans don't have a connection to that, you, you see what happens. Not good. <laughs> yeah, I, we're all channeling each other here. It's really quite a synchronicity here. I agree. I've been writing about bad philosophy and nihilism. And I agree with you also. The world needs leadership of all kinds, including spiritual leadership, business leadership, startup leadership, corporate leadership, father leadership, mom leadership, whatever, all of the above leadership. Yes. And life affirming leadership. And it's an interesting point you make around, yeah, the spiritual self. I think what you're saying is like the primary aspect of one is spiritual rather than material. The Western philosophers have not answered the mind-body connection. They have not answered the paradox of dualism. People might think they have, they have not. Science has not answered that either. Yeah. I don't even think it's a question to be answered. I think it's just I think we exist in this permanent state of paradox and we just have to be able to be cool with the fact that we are like, I really believe that the ultimate truth is we're spiritual beings having this like kind of temporary material, physical experience. And then at some point we're going to go back to where we were before. And I think these psychedelic compounds are, I don't want to call them shortcuts because I think shortcut is it, it implies, it implies like fake, like it, it, it implies unearned wisdom, but I think that they are methods of just revealing these truths to us that have just been forgotten and beaten out of us by years of inculcation. It's like a, a glimpse, right? It's like a glimpse. Have you had these, this term of art comes up like synchronicities? Oh yeah. Young, Carl Young, who I'm a big fan of. Yeah, big fan too. Introduces concept of synchronicities, which I guess we'd call like coincidences, right? Yeah, but I don't believe- I used to believe all coincidences were just coincidences, statistical phenomena that occurs. And now my view on that has started to shift. Too many unexplained phenomena happen in my life where I'm incredibly grateful for, sometimes many times in the same day. But anyway, so, go ahead. 
Yeah, well, I think we're brainwashed by empiricism and capital S science and reductionism. Obviously, I believe in science. It's one of the most, yeah, it's, look at all the, look how we're talking right now. Like none of this would be possible without the marvels of electrical engineering and like electromagnetism and Maxwell's equations and all these beautiful scientific revelations that have come to be. I, I love science, but I do think that there's almost like this cult of science that gets developed and like people just get bogged down by reductionism and think that we can just explain everything all the time. And I don't even think it's desirable to be able to explain everything. If you look at, what is it, particle wave theory, but sometimes when you look at fundamental particles, they pop out as particles. Sometimes they appear to us as waves. There's like literally us looking at them changes their own nature. So I think reality is not something to figure to be figured out. It's like this beautiful mystery that we have to just experience. That's what I believe. And I think psychedelics have played a large role in helping me realize that. Let me ask a, a question here about coming back to the reality for a second, because whether we understand it or we can ever understand it, different question than that we have to live in it. And you talked a little bit about how some of these experiences created for you insights into how you were going to treat yourself. What, what did you do differently afterwards? Mike Tyson in the clip talks about he loses 100 pounds and he really focuses on health. You talked about taking care of yourself as well, physically and mentally, but what have you done differently as a result? And then also maybe your, what's your next step on this journey? Are you uh, making that phone call again or not? It's a good question. Very good question. So in terms of the, so we actually, what was the first part of the question? How did the insights from these experiences change the way you live your life? What do you do differently as a result? Interesting. Like I would say my experience wasn't like, it sounds like Mike Tyson was in a really bad spot when he took it. And I wouldn't say that I had this 180 necessarily. I think I've been on this spiritual path of development and truth seeking for a long time. And I'd say it was just like jet fuel. It was just like more momentum in the direction that I was already headed in, if that makes any sense. And I do think it, it just... Gave me, I think, again, the main insight that it took away is self-love is everything. And that's just at the center of everything that I'm doing right now. It's just, how can I love myself deeper? What would my life look like if I was able to love myself deeper? So I think it just hammered down the importance of that. And I, and I realized it sounds like a, a Hallmark card. I like, I think reality is like a Hallmark card. Like love really is the answer to almost everything is what it taught me. So that was the main insight. It didn't necessarily, I think it, it made me focus on breath work a little bit more, I would say, more than anything. I'd say it taught me the, the importance of my breath. I'd say is one tangible thing that I took away from it. Because if you think about it, your breath is, I don't know if it's the only thing, but it's one of the only things as humans that we do consciously and unconsciously. If you're not thinking about breathing, like you can just sit at your desk and do your work and you're going to keep breathing. But also if you want to tune into it, you can control it. It's your only real like mechanism between the conscious and subconscious mind. So it taught me the importance of breath and self-love. And in terms of picking up the call again, I'd say that these days I do one, one or two big psychedelic trips a year. I find it to be a very nice, let's call it a factory reset. That's like to use a technological term, but to hit reset on things or it's like debugging mode on your computer. I also view meditation is quite similar to that too. And yeah, I actually have been feeling the call because I know a person here in Colorado that has it. So I was actually thinking about buying some 5-MEO five five here soon and maybe partaking and seeing what happens. So yeah, I think I don't like doing it that much. I like doing it every six months, every year. 
And I have been feeling a call to it. Mm -hmm. So I've heard some people compare it to a fresh powder, thinking about Colorado and the, the 14ers out there, like fresh powder over the tracks in your brain. That is, that's a really good way to think about it. I, I think I like that analogy a lot. And I've actually hiked up 40 different 14ers. There's 58 of them. So I'm a big, I'm a big hiker and mountaineer as well. So a good, great analogy. I think the other approach is that taking it with reverence and not as recreation. Yes. The key words that come up here are humbling. This is Mike Tyson. Yes. Yeah. People are not racing to do this again the next day. And when I hear from these YouTube interviews, people are saying, oh, I'm done. I'm glad I did that. I'm never going to do that again. <laughs> and okay, some of the, on the medical side, so NYU, Johns Hopkins, and Imperial College have clinical trials underway to test the impact of different kinds of psychedelics for treating postpartum depression, PTSD, uh, addressing addiction. There's a lot of data out there on people that have suffered addiction. Mike Tyson referenced his own example, who they take this and they, they've stopped. Yeah. Yeah. I could totally see how it, it, it could stop addiction in its tracks. It's just, it's such an, an embodied experience. It, it's so life affirming because I think when we get wrapped up, I've been addicted to various things in my life, weed, alcohol, like pornography in my own personal experience. I've been addicted to, to several things. And I think addiction, it's Gabor Mate has a very, do you know Dr. Gabor Mate? Got me. He's amazing. It's G-A-B-O-R-M-A-T-E. And he's got a lot of incredible work on addiction. He, he describes addiction as the opposite of connection. Like the more addicted you are, the more disconnected you are. Fascinating. You need to go back to the Buddhist tradition. They're talking about how do you relinquish attachment to things? And addiction is a form of attachment or even being on the dopamine pump. Now, so. precisely. So yeah, when you take these substances, it's like this lightning rod to source. So you're really connecting in a way that I, it's a mystical experience. And I, I think unless you're like a sage of a human who had some type of maybe like Carl Jung, for instance, you'd mentioned him earlier. Like I've read his, his autobiography called Memories and Reflections. It's an amazing book. And he used to have like these insanely trippy, like seizure experiences when he was a kid where he had mystical experiences, like when he was a child. And I think that some people have those. If you're not attached to some type of deep religious or spiritual tradition, I don't think there's really any way, any ways that people have to engender these mystical experiences. And I think that's at the core of this. It's mystical experiences are what connect you to source. And I have minor mystical experiences when I do this breath work almost every day now. It's beautiful. I think we lack a language for it in some ways, right? Without religion or some spiritual practice, there's not a language or a set of kind of shared experiences that can allow someone to understand what would be a spiritual experience or why something could be interpreted that way. Whereas these types of plant medicines and psychonauts journeys and their discussions of them gives another lens through which you can experience that journey, talk about it, put some terms around it and think about how it can help you in a certain way. I think you're onto something. Yeah, I do think that we are, I think we lack a spiritual vocabulary. I think that kind of gets to the, the core of what you're talking. I think we do, but I also think well, foundationally, words are quite limited just as a means of expressing. Like, I think that we're like a lot of what we're talking about, like these mystical and spiritual senses, they are just felt, they're felt senses. They're not these senses that are meant to be scrutinized and put into words. Look at, I'll say, I think the greatest psychedelic philosopher ever is Terrence McKenna. 
I think if anybody ever wants to learn about what the psychedelic experience is all about, I would highly recommend checking out some of Terrence McKenna's YouTube lectures. He was big back in like the 90s and like the 80s, but he's got a book called Food of the Gods. Another one that I really liked was called True Hallucinations. And he is the best that I have ever heard at articulating what these mystical states of consciousness look like. We're going to put these all in the show notes, by the way, at the end. This version is live, but this will go as a podcast. In two weeks, we will put all the show notes. So if you're listening and you're like, what did Tommy say 45 minutes ago? You'll be able to check it out. We'll link to the quantum mechanics as well and some of the Western philosophy and the challenges there. I think the other part you raised is just the role and power of intuition to cut through what we think of as deductive and empirical knowledge. We have this concept of intuition that transcends the evidence presented immediately before us. And I think back to your point, maybe it's about remembering or rediscovering these ancient traditions. I'll give you an example. I was in Glacier National Park a few years ago. I've been there. Amazing. Gorgeous. It is. It's absolutely stunning. By the way, when you're traveling Glacier National Park, you don't think because the beauty is so stunning. Your mind just gets quiet. You're meditating, even though you're not, you don't know you're meditating, right? And there was just, yeah, it's that beautiful. It's power of nature, right? This is one lake, and they have this story about this tradition they have. It's a, an Indian tribe. And this woman, she, had a mission where she had to go separate from the tribe for three days. And in short, she took a, a ton of mushrooms. That's not what the science said. But when you read it, that's what's happening. And, and she comes back and it was a rite of passage. And other indigenous tribes, like the shaman rituals and so forth, there, I think there's a traditions and a vocabulary out there. We need someone like Graham Hong Hancock. You guys probably see it on Netflix, right? To go and study and, and kind of share what they're finding. One last point is, all of the major religions have this esoteric, mystical tradition. Use the word mystical tradition, which I find really interesting. I listen to this podcast called Buddha at the Gas Pump. And they interview these people having mystical experiences. I just find it interesting. I'm jealous. Of I wish I had mystical experiences. <laughs> so here, let me walk you through briefly with the, with the assistance of ChatGPT here. In Islam, there are vibrant geometric patterns and intricate designs in mosques. Okay. These are like multicolor psychedelic experiences. Now, there's people call it world, they have whirling dervishes. The whirling dervishes are in the Sufi sect of Islam, where they spin around, they do this holotropic breathing, and they appear to have these experiences. In Christianity, you have stained glass windows. Again, like psychedelic colors through glass. In, in Hinduism, there's an ancient text called the Rig Veda, and they refer to this drink called Soma. And as best as modern scholars can figure out, it seems to be like a reference to psychedelics. In Buddhism, you have the mandala, right? The, again, multicolored, beautiful ornate, and then you wipe it away. In ancient Greece, they had the oracles. You would take some beverage. There'd be a, a psychoactive substance. Plato references this in certain ways. And now we're starting to appreciate all these interpretations with modern. Looking back, and of course, the shamanic traditions. Yeah, beautiful. No, I think that psychedelics and these substances have played a role in human history for probably for as long as humans have been around, is my intuition. If you think about it, uh, yeah, Soma, I've, there's actually a book about it. The best prediction that we have is that they were actually taking these mushrooms called Amanita muscaria mushrooms, little Mario mushrooms, like they're red with like white dots. They're different than psilocybin mushrooms, but that's the best guess as to what Soma is because these ancient Nepalese and Indian people were taking them in the Himalayas and like those. Muscaria mushrooms are known to be 
found at those high elevations. So that's their best guess. And I, I really think that these have played a role in humanity forever. I, I think that they quite possibly have helped us accelerate like our own evolution. These are out there theories, obviously, that I, there's no scientific proof to back. But just based off of my experience, I think that these, they help us evolve as humans. And if they help us evolve as humans, then they help us evolve collectively as well. So I think that we need them right now. I don't, I'm not sure they're best for everybody, but I think if you feel an intuitive call to them, treat them with great reverence. It was great that you talked about that. These are plants and medicines that like they connect us with source in such a powerful way. And it's not to be trifled with. It's not to be trifled with at all. You need to be very careful with these substances. How many of the ancient biblical stories might have been inspired by these experiences? You talk about Moses seeing the burning bush. Yeah. There was Jesus 40 days and nights, and he has an experience. There's Muhammad has an experience of Gabriel. I'm not, I wasn't there. No one was there. All I'm saying is that there's experiences where you're in solitude. You got to find some food. And there are these rituals where you consume a substance and you're talking to what you call their entities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's quite possible that a lot of the Bible was, I don't know. I'm not a biblical scholar, but there's a book called The Immortality Key by Brian Moresco. And he, he also does a podcast with Jordan Peterson, which is also incredible. And Joe Rogan, actually, he has a whole, he has a whole study about how psychedelics related to how, what role they played in ancient Greece and also in like biblical, what's the area, like the Gaza Strip, that biblical Middle East area as well. So I, I think that it's quite possible a lot of religion was born out of the psychedelic experiences. But then again, I'm just a guy, I'm not a biblical scholar. Tommy, to, to wrap us up here, it's been an amazing conversation. If you mentioned uh, that you were strapped to a rocket and that these things have been rocket fuel for you, what would be the advice for somebody who's on the launch pad and getting the call to do some of these things? Where do they start? And how do they find somebody to help them guide their practice if they're ready to do something deeper than the different, we've talked about different types of psychedelics. Yeah. I'd say it's tough. It's very tough because they're still underground and you, you need to practice quite a bit of discernment with whoever you work with, because there's a lot of tomfoolery within the psychedelic space. There's predators that are, that, that are posing as shamans. So you need to be very careful. You need to trust your intuition. You need to make sure as well that you have a plan for integration. Integration is huge because after you have these absolutely ego dissolving, mind melting experiences, like you need to come back into your body and you still need to show up for your family and your friends and your place of work. Like life doesn't stop. So I think you need to, to have practices of integration built around it, practices of stillness and breath work, practices of community. You need to be able to talk about this with a the therapist or psychologist, somebody that you trust, somebody that knows about these experiences. In terms of seeking out 5-MEO, it's very tough. You, you, have to, you have to be tapped in. You have to know people that are in these psychedelic spaces. And that doesn't happen overnight. You need to be curious, especially if you're not. Can, I live in a place, Colorado, where we are the first state that legalized marijuana and cannabis. We're the first city here in Denver, Colorado, that decriminalized magic mushroom. I'm pretty tapped into this space myself. So it's difficult to find it, especially if you're in like a less, let's call it progressive state towards these things. It's tough to find it. I, I'm not going to tell anybody like where to go, but you got to, you have to keep your ears open. You have to stay receptive, but you have to ask questions and read, research. A website that I'm going to recommend for everybody for psychedelics is Arrowid. 
E-R-O-W-I-D.org. Arrowit is excellent. And honestly, Reddit, if you want to search Reddit, you can find some excellent trip reports. Reddit as well. Go to YouTube. Knowledge is power. Inform yourself with knowledge before you go into these things. They are not to be trifled with. Amazing. Toppy, thank you so much for today. Ram, I'll just point out that I think that you might have been mentioning the Blackfeet tribe that's adjacent to Glacier National Park. Yes, I've, that's exactly the tribe. You got it. I have a deep connection to the Blackfeet Indian tribe. What? And I thought that, that was incredible uh-huh. that you brought that up. Is that a coincidence or synchronicity? Tell me. I'm going to say it's a synchronicity. I actually, I'm, I'm looking on the other side of this. I have an incredible bead covered, buckskin covered um, eagle feather that was given wow. to me by a, an amazing Blackfeet Indian woman named Eloise Cobell, who uh, fought on behalf of individual Indians for justice in an incredible case that I was honored to be a part of. But amazing that you, you talk about that. I think that is another synchronicity. Open your eye. Synchronicities happen all around us. Just, I believe, opens our perception to them. Agreed. Yeah, that's what. There are no synchronicities. There, there are no coincidences, only synchronicities. Yeah. That, that's a great way to sum it up because I'm so grateful for this conversation. Today, our conversation on what's on your mind was about gratitude. And my conversation this morning with my therapist was about gratitude. And nice. so- I'm incredibly grateful for this conversation and the time we all spent together and then wishing you all an amazing Thanksgiving where you can uh, be thankful and grateful for the other things and other people in your life. Tommy, thank you so much. Ram, thank you so much. This was amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Tommy. In the spirit of love, I love you both. Thank you. This is fantastic. And if you want to see Tommy on X, his account is Tommy. Yeah. T-O-M-Y-S writing and Feel free to follow me. Again, it's nicheless writing. I talk about everything. If, if this conversation appeals to you, feel free to follow me and connect. And Ram and Justin, thank you for having me on. It's been a real pleasure to talk about this experience and to share my truth with you guys. And I love what you're doing here. Keep it up. Thank you. Next time you have your heroic experience, your semi-annual, maybe you come back on and share what you learned there. I'd be honored, Mom. <laughs> Seriously, it's been so much fun. I love this. I love conversation. This is, for me, this is the beauty of the internet. I love this. Wonderful. Thanks, guys. Thank you.